Please come in, have a seat, close the doors, bring your coffee, your Bible. Please, thank you. Those of you who will be joining us for our class on Profiles from Acts, would you please come on in and have a seat? We have limited time. We've got a lot to do in a short time this morning. Thank you. Bring your coffee, your Bible. And there are handouts this morning. Make sure you get the first one as you take your seat. Now, the name of our course is <clears throat> Profiles from Acts, Men and Women Who Shaped the Early Church. And we must make an acknowledgement early on here that there is something, there's a little misleading element to the title, Acts of the Apostles, because when you hear Acts of the Apostles, you would imagine that maybe you're going to hear from all of the apostles or even most of the apostles, but the fact is that most of the book of Acts is about Peter and about Paul. You have some others making cameo appearances like John, but mostly this is about Peter and Paul. If we were to interpret the word apostle in a larger generic sense, then we could say, well, we've got a whole parade of people serving, and of course that's our ultimate goal. But we're going to begin our study uh, with dealing with the two heavies first. We're going to look at Peter today, and then we're going to look at Paul next week, purposely putting these two men side by side, so that by the time we finish with Paul next week, we can compare and contrast the two. Before we begin today, let's Ask the Lord to be with us and to bless our teaching and our hearing and our doing. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege being taught by the Holy Spirit, whom you gave to remind us of all that Christ spake to us. Thank you, Father, for how the Holy Spirit has already spoken in this place this morning in our time of earlier worships. Grant now that we might be quiet and humble in our hearts that we would hear clearly from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Does everyone have a handout? I need you to join me in an exercise of imagination this morning. <clears throat> I want us to imagine that we are a committee at large appointed by a church that we belong to together, not St. Paul's. We belong to some other imaginary church. And we have been appointed as a committee at large to find a new pastor for our church. Our church has prayed over us. Our church has commissioned us. Our church has ordained us with the sacred task of finding God's man or woman to be our next pastor. Now, we've gone through some of the preliminaries already. We have developed the job description. 
We have developed a, an economic package to offer benefits, income. We have put together a profile of the kind of individual, the kind of human being that we would like to come and be our under-shepherd. And now we are at that point in our search for a new pastor where we begin to look at resumes, hoping that God would give us insight through these documents into the candidates that are being presented to us. And we're going to look at a resume this morning passed along to us by a mutual acquaintance from one Simon Peter. And we have gathered some information about his job history. We have gathered some information about his personal walk. We have gathered some information about who he is as a human being. And we're gathering now as this pastor search committee to see if we, what we can't learn about this man based on the resume that has been given to us. You have that in your hand. There are 12 things that we're going to look at about this candidate named Simon Peter. <clears throat> the first has to do with an experience between Simon Peter and the Lord Jesus when the Lord Jesus, early in his career, was calling out those who would be disciples with him. And after a time of teaching, he asked uh, owners of a boat to push out a little deeper into the Sea of Galilee, lower their nets. There was some complaint from Simon Peter who said, look, we've been fishing all night long, you preacher. But because you say so, we'll push back out. And they pushed back out and lowered their nets in the middle of the day, the opposite from how they normally fish over there after dark. They let down the nets. There's this great catch. Two boats become swamped because of this great catch of fish. And Simon Peter, whom we're considering to be our next pastor, has this remarkable reaction. He says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And what do we learn about this candidate from that exchange with Jesus? Well, I, for one, would think he had a very bad self-image. I would think that he did not walk closely with his Lord. I would think that there was some kind of undisclosed, undealt with sin between him and his Lord. And I'm not quite sure I would want him to be my spiritual leader. What would you say to overhearing something like this? Get away from me, Jesus. I am a sinful man. So if I were a member of this pastor search committee and had a legal pad and drew a line vertically down the middle of the pad, and there's a plus and a minus on these things that we're going to be looking at, I think I would have to put an X on the minus side of the ledger here. There is something unresolved between this man and his Lord. And I would prefer that he get things all straightened up between him and Jesus before he came to be my spiritual leader. Would you think likewise? So we got one negative for Simon Peter. Let's look at the second. This is uh, an example, uh, an occasion, in which Jesus has crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee after a hard day's work. He dismisses his disciples to go row back across the Sea of Galilee where he stays along uh, alone to pray. And at the fourth watch, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus has finished his quiet time, and he decides to catch up with his disciples by walking on the water. And there's this fear in the boat, thinking he's a ghost. 
He said, don't be afraid, I'm not a ghost. Peter, Simon Peter, the one we're considering to be our pastor, says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. So Jesus bids him to come to him. And Peter, over the edge of the boat, walking across the Sea of Galilee, wow, what faith, I am so impressed with that faith. I would love for a man like that to be my pastor, I would think. But he doesn't quite make it to Jesus, and he begins to sink. Jesus stretches out his arm and he says to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, goodness. I think I'm about to put a cross mark on the negative column again. What I really want a man to be my spiritual leader and my pastor who doubts and has little faith, who is impulsive in his doubt, but sees it just uh, vaporize when it's challenged by the elements? Would you think any differently? Would you really want a man of impulsive faith, prone to doubt, to be your pastor? On my legal pad, that's another X mark on the negative column. For those of you who have slipped in late, we are acting as a pastor search committee. We're looking for a new pastor for our church, not St. Paul's. It's an imaginary church, imaginary church. And we're considering a resume. And now we're looking at a third little snapshot of Simon Peter. And it's a wonderful picture at the beginning. Jesus and Simon Peter and his disciples are gathered together at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says to the group, who do men say that I am? And the disciples answer is, some say that you are a prophet from of old, others say that you are John the Baptist, some think that you are Elijah himself. But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And what follows is the first recorded profession of faith in Jesus Christ in all of history. Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but your father who is in heaven. By Holy Spirit inspiration, Simon Peter is the first person in world history to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And Jesus goes on to say, you are, you are now Peter, but I have a new name for you. You're no longer Cephas, but you are Petra. You are a rock, and faith like yours will be the foundation for the church that I build. Ah, I would love for a man like that to be my pastor. But now that the first confession of of Messiahship by faith has been made, Jesus begins teaching his disciples for the first time what's going to happen to him. The messianic secret has been broken. Jesus says, I'm going to, to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of men and religious leaders. I will die. And there is this voice of protest from someone in that gathered band. Never, Lord, we will never let this happen to you. Guess who? Simon Peter. Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, you are on the side of men. 
not going to let a man like that be my pastor. Satan, Jesus called him. On the side of man, not of men, Jesus said about this man. So for my contribution to this search for a new pastor for my church, he gets another X mark in the negative column of things. That is not a favorable representation of whom I think God would want to be a pastor. But that's just me. You may think differently. Let's look at number four on our resume. Jesus and, his, and a chosen handful of disciples, Peter, James, John. Peter's always listed first in every list of apostles. He is primate. Have gone up on a mountain that we now call the Mount of Transfiguration. And oh, it's like going to Canuga. It's like going on spiritual retreat. I mean, the world is left behind. They're up there with God and each other. They love each other. They love God. They love being transported. They had left the other nine disciples down in the valley dealing with demons. <laughs> but they're on spiritual retreat. Oh, isn't it good that we're here? Peter says, let's build some shelters and not go home. Let's just stay up here. It's so wonderful. We'll be in fellowship with God. We'll be in fellowship with each other. We won't have to deal with the world or demons. So let's start building a place to live up here on this mountain. Is that what we want in a pastor? We want someone who will excuse himself from the real world. Not fight the demons within us. Not fight the evil that's in our world. Not come to our rescue when Satan and the flesh and the world are too powerful for us but excuses himself off on some spiritual retreat that goes on ad infinitum. Sorry, Simon Peter, another X on the negative column of our evaluation of you is our next pastor. Number five on your list. Representatives from the temple <clears throat> come to Jesus, and they're there to collect the temple tax. No one has stepped forward from Jesus and his disciples and paid the annual two-shekel tax for the maintenance of the temple. So they ask Simon Peter, doesn't your teacher pay the annual temple tax? Peter said, oh yeah, sure, he pays it. Jesus overhears the exchange he says, Peter, I have a question for you. The sons of men, do their kings collect taxes from their own family? Or do they collect taxes from others who serve them? Peter says, well, from others, Lord. Then Jesus says, well, why then do I have to pay a tax for my father's house? And there's this little snapshot to add to the list of bad theology. He is doctrinally incorrect about the relationship Jesus has with the temple and his responsibility to temple leaders. So Peter, again, is less than sharp about something. So on my side of the legal pad, another X under the negative side. Now, number six, Simon Peter comes to Jesus. And there must have been somebody else listening because the question sounds a little self-righteous. 
it sounds a little like wanting somebody to give him an attaboy. Lord, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times. Ah, look at me. Seven times forgive my neighbor. Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven times, which, as you know, is not a number. It is a symbolic representation of an unending act, right? Seventy times seven means you don't stop. You ever stop. And Jesus follows immediately with one of his major parables about forgiveness. A king who forgave and then a servant who did not forgive. Remember that story? So Peter comes, and I really kind of think in a rather self-righteous, boastful way, I'll forgive him seven times seven. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, seven times, Lord, isn't that wonderful? Jesus says, nope, that's not enough. And I have to say that that's more negative than it is positive in my evaluation of Simon Peter as a possible pastor for my church. So we move down the list. We're continuing to look at his resume. Number seven. Jesus is gathered with his disciples for a final meal. He is telling them what's going to happen in the next few hours. Simon Peter says, Never, Lord, I will never forsake you. Even though you have said all of us will forsake you and turn away, I will not, even if it costs me my life, I will not forsake you. Jesus says, Before the rooster crows, Simon, you will deny me publicly three times. And what follows has got to be the darkest moment of Simon Peter's life. When caught up in self-preservation, he denies the Lord publicly in front of gathered critics and skeptics, the last time with vulgarity and profanity. The Lord looks at him and breaks his heart. And he runs away, weeping uncontrollably. Peter was the initial one to say, Nope, I'll be faithful. I will not forsake you. Even unto death I will be faithful to you. And he was the first one to break the pledge. Is that positive or negative? It's negative. So another X on the negative column for this man, Simon Peter. Number eight. We have, we have heard eloquently already this morning, very well presented, this, 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 uh, this moment, this encounter between Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper in which Jesus wants to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. In other words, you'll never touch my dirty places. The bottom of a man's foot is the filthiest, most offensive place on the human anatomy in the Middle East even today. Never. Cock your leg like this with the bottom of your foot up because that is an offense. That's why they still throw shoes at even the President of the United States. It is offensive to see the bottom of a shoe or the bottom of a foot. Simon Peter is saying, I will not let you into the dirtiest parts of my life. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash all of you, I can't wash any of you. Well, finer, Peter does kind of escape a little bit on this one, and he says, well, then, Lord, wash me all over. But the initial understanding and refusal 
by Peter to let Jesus deal with the dirt in his life would not be a good characteristic for a pastor. Agree? Because even we pastors, we got a lot of dirt. And sometimes, well, we just want Jesus to deal with the easy parts of us and not the hard parts, the shameful parts. All right, number nine. Jesus is by himself. He is in Gethsemane. He is praying so hard. He is in such agony and distress. Sweat pours down his face in the semblance of blood, maybe real blood. He is in torture. He is in the dark night of his soul. Prior to this, he has asked his three best friends, Peter and James and John, the inner circle, the three men that he ran with most, to just stay awake and pray for him. Three times he comes back to find his three best friends, which include Simon Peter, asleep at their post. Put yourself for a moment in the shoes of Jesus. You are in agony of soul. The thing that you have feared most in life is upon you. You are despairing. You're suicidal. You are trembling physically because of the fear and the emotion of the moment. And you have asked your very best friend to just be with you and stay awake and pray for you. And three times he falls asleep on you and leaves you alone. Would we want Simon Peter to be our pastor? Based on this? It's another X mark on the negative side of our evaluation. Number 10, the soldiers from the temple come. Simon Peter, bless his heart, full of good intentions but impulsivity, draws his sword. And he winds up cutting off a guy's ear, defending the God of peace. <laughs> and Jesus says, put that thing away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He has a violent streak in his personality, this Simon Peter, and he loses reason in heated controversy. I think that I need a more self-controlled person, a little more level in his emotions, and better judgment to be my pastor or the pastor of the church that I've been commissioned to find a pastor for. So it's another X mark on the negative side of the legal pad, number 11. It's toward the end now. Peter and Jesus have had a magnificent moment together, which we'll go back to later. Uh, Jesus tells Peter, when you are old, someone is going to take you by the hands and the arms that they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And that is generally interpreted to be a prediction of Simon Peter's uh, crucifixion. That Peter will be martyred for Christ. Peter, sensing the, imp the, 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 the uh, impact and the severity of this prediction, sees apparently the Apostle John... And he says to Jesus, well, I'm going to be crucified for you. What about him? What's he going to have to do? 
And Jesus said, if I want him to live forever, what's that to you? You are going to follow me in death. As I died, so will you die. But Peter, wanting to make sure that he is not singled out from the crowd and bearing an undue burden that others do not have to bear, wants to excuse himself in some way or pull somebody else into his suffering. That doesn't speak to my spirit. It's another X on the negative side. Now lastly, in the book of Galatians, Peter comes to where Paul is, and the apostle Paul confronts Peter face to face. Imagine these two men together, and Paul's going after Peter. And he says to Peter, what's with this business of separating yourself from the Gentiles when you have your community meals? Before these men came from James in Jerusalem, before the circumcision party showed up here, everybody here ate together. You were equal, you were one. There was no difference between Gentiles and Jews. But now, Peter, you've come under some threat from the hierarchy in Jerusalem, and you reverted to your own ways, and others are following you. So much so now that the community meal here in this church is divided, and the Gentiles are over there, and the Jews are over there, and Peter, you got to get it straight, because you are all messed up, dividing people to eat in that way. And here's a man who buckled under the pressure of threats from church hierarchy, or common expectation And he excluded or minimized one whole group of early believers in that church. Positive or negative? Negative. Now what are we going to do with this guy? Some mutual acquaintance has given us this resume and he is 0 for 12. It's a dirty dozen. Somebody ought to make a movie. Ah, but there is a ray of hope for Simon Peter and we have another handout. Someone has discovered that the resume that we first got was missing a page. And all we've had to act with and act on and look at is one page out of two. There's a second page. So we get to examine Simon Peter a little more thoroughly with information that we did not previously have. Number one, we're going back to Caesarea Philippi. We kind of leaped over Simon Peter's profession of faith under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to get to his argument with Jesus about going to Jerusalem. And Jesus calls him Satan. But the fact is, Simon Peter was the first man in recorded history to discern by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the first person to declare it. That is a strong positive. He hears the Holy Spirit. He sees Christ at work in this world. He moves beyond cultural limitations. He speaks in faith, not, he speaks out of his heart, not out of his head. He speaks in faith, not in understanding. He goes out on a limb. And he stands alone 
to represent Jesus Christ for who he is. That's the kind of man I want for my pastor. And so on this second, from this second page of resumes, I put a bold check mark on the positive side of my ledger. Acts 2. Christ has ascended. Holy Spirit has come. Simon Peter, who fled with the rest of the disciples, who denied Jesus publicly with vulgarity and profanity, finds himself on Pentecost interpreting the falling of the Holy Spirit on the gathered group of believers and thereby preaches the first recorded Christian sermon ever. Ah, the first one to profess faith in Christ as Lord. The first one to ever preach a sermon in the name of Jesus Christ and to interpret the falling of the Holy Spirit. The honor goes to Simon Peter. Another bold check mark on our evaluation sheet for this man who may be a candidate to be our pastor. He walks along, number three, he walks along with John by the temple gate. There is a beggar there who is crying out for money. Peter says, silver and gold we do not have, but such as we have, we give you. Get up and walk. Where do you see that kind of faith on earth? Where do you see that kind of compassion Where do you see this kind of prioritizing of what's really important in life? What was the issue here? Being late for a Bible study? When you stopped to to help this beggar? Or was the issue really to help the beggar and everything else can wait? Because human need comes before scholarly exploration. Here's a man who, driven by compassion has this burst of faith to say in a gathered group of witnesses that you are healed by faith in Christ, get up and walk. You know there's a later great controversy about this. But it came from the lips of Peter, and so we have another positive check mark to put on our evaluation of his resume as we look for our new pastor. Number four, Peter and John but dragged before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin had a great deal of power. They were a lot more than just titular uh, ecclesiastical heads. They wielded power to throw you in jail. And if the secular government went along with it, they had power to have you killed by stoning. Who gives the first defense of Christianity against established power in world history? Simon Peter again. Wow. Things are changing in how I understand this man. Suddenly there's more to him which first meets the eye. Suddenly I'm beginning to look at him through a different set of glasses. This man has some outstanding qualities about him. Number five. He receives a vision while he's praying. A net is lowered from heaven's. There are animals in the net, clean and unclean. A voice says, kill and eat. Simon Peter says, never, Lord. I have never in all of my life violated kosher. And the voice says, don't you call unclean what I've cleaned. 
Don't you call unholy what I've made holy. There's a knock at his door. A team from um, Joppa has come, wanting, because an angel appeared to them and said, you go to the house of Simon the Tanner, and you'll find a man named Peter there, and you bring him with you here. So they do, they, they, they go. Uh, Cornelius is the leader of the group who is seeking God's truth, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to the Gentiles for the first time ever in recorded history. By who? Simon Peter again. Suddenly all of these things are beginning to minimize themselves in my understanding of this man. The first ever to present salvation through faith in Christ to the Gentiles is our candidate here. Number six, he and John are in jail because they have refused to shut up. They continue to preach only what they have seen and what they have heard, and that's Jesus Christ. And those who have observed them have said, we note that they have been with Jesus, and there is this miraculous delivery from prison. You know the story, an angel comes and releases them, and Simon Peter goes to the house where the believers are gathered and... um, and, and, and the little maid stands at the gate and just leaves him locked out because you can hardly believe that he's been released from prison and someone else has to come and let Peter in. Um, miracles happen to this man. Angels come to this man. God's hand, power is on this man. God allows this man to walk through conflict and opposition and to escape on the other side unscathed. And finally, number seven. And we've alluded to it already. At the end of his life, Jesus says to Peter that he's going to be martyred and someone will lead him by hands where he doesn't want to go. And and indeed, church tradition says that Simon Peter was crucified, as was Jesus, but there was something different. If we can believe tradition, Simon Peter was crucified with his cross upside down and his head nearest to the ground because he did not feel worthy to die the same death of his Lord. And what a mark of humility in this man. What's happened here? What what have we done? We've allowed ourselves to be preoccupied with things that God's not preoccupied with. Allow ourselves to wallow in the well of uh, criticism and cynicism and judgment and condemnation. All this negative stuff has to be held in context against the larger hand of God in this man's life. How did Peter get from the negative to the positive column in your evaluation sheet? I will tell you. He had breakfast with Jesus Christ and he passed his ordination exam. Jesus had a question for this man. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. 
Simon, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Simon, do you love me even as much as you would love a good friend? And Peter's exasperated that the Lord has asked him a third time. But the answer is yes for a third time. End of the examination and Peter's ordination council is finished. What qualifies a person to serve Jesus Christ? Always making good administrative decisions? Always having correct doctrine? Always being uh, at peace in the face of fear? What qualifies somebody to serve Jesus Christ? It's the same unchanging question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Listen here. You thought you could sneak in here this morning and be safe, didn't you? You thought you could just slip in here and God wouldn't notice. Because he doesn't notice a person like you. Haven't done anything great. You got lots of problems, lots of fears, lots of doubts. Doctrinally, you're not always right. Sometimes you're impulsive. Sometimes you have doubt instead of faith. You got all these shadows in your life, right? God is never going to pay any attention to me. And then comes that singular question Do you know me enough to love me? Do you love me? If the answer is yes for you, you are at risk of being called by God to do the undoable. To represent no less than Jesus Christ himself. Do you love Jesus? You don't need college. You don't need seminary. You don't need books. All these have their place, and they're good. But you don't have to have them to say yes to that question. And if you say yes to that question, then you are at risk of the Lord Jesus Christ dropping in on you and asking you to love him enough to represent him. And whatever that may be, that will be your acts of the apostle. Because if you love him, and he calls you, and he sends you, then you are an apostle too. So don't think you can sneak in here anymore. Don't think God won't notice you. Don't think that you are unqualified. Don't think you've got too many X's on the negative side of your ledger. Don't think that you would fail God's examination because you've made some stupid, sinful mistakes. Do you know him enough to truly love him? If the answer is yes, be on guard. Because in a church which has made a corporate decision to move out beyond itself, you may be called to be an apostle too. God, dismiss us with your presence. Thank you that you do not overlook us, that you come to us 
that you make that which is unholy, holy, and that which is unclean, clean, and you empower us with the Holy Spirit to go forth. Lord, help us to hold our heads high. We are privileged children of our God through Jesus Christ our Lord and his finished work on the cross. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you.